We want to invite children first through sixth grade uh, to go to children's worship with Pastor Susan and her helpers. And so uh, it, uh, you can line up over here to my left, your right. Uh, we're so thankful that we get to worship together and that we get to hear God's word together, whether you're in person or online. Alexei Navalny is a Russian citizen who has been critical of the Kremlin and of President Putin. And uh, back in August, he was poisoned with a nerve agent that almost killed him. And so he was taken to a hospital in Berlin where he was treated for a long time uh, until he really came back to life in, in sort of a really uh, unprecedented way. And as soon as he was well and back on his feet, he decided to go back to Russia, which uh, it's hard to understand because it was in Russia, the people that he criticized that had been, uh, that probably poisoned him, but, but he wanted to go back home. And so he and his wife got on an airplane directed to Moscow. People were expecting them, supporters of, of Alexei were at the airport, there was media there. And the authorities in Russia were not happy about that, so they redirected the flight so that it would go somewhere where there was not a lot of media coverage. And, and uh, when Alexei and his wife landed, they got in a shuttle uh, to go to uh, outside of the airport. And when they were riding, he, he tells his wife, I'm so happy. This is the best day uh, in five months because I'm home. While he was saying that, the Russian police was waiting for him at the other side of passport control, ready to arrest him. And he knew that. And so as they pass passport control, he, he kisses his wife goodbye and is arrested and is taken into custody. That happened a couple of weeks ago. Since then, there's been demonstrations and riots in different parts of Russia. I think this morning his wife got arrested but it's just sobering to know that going back to your hometown is not always a romantic experience. That sometimes we're not welcome in our home city. Not everyone is welcome back in their hometown. On one occasion when Jesus visited his hometown of Nazareth, he went to the synagogue where he had grown up, where he did his smart mitzvah, where he learned the Torah. Where, where people had seen him develop. And, and when he was in that synagogue, he said, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Jesus knew that he would not be accepted in his own hometown. And that's the title of today's message, Prophet in His Hometown. But we're not talking about Jesus today, we're talking about Paul and his journey. So I'd like to invite you to go with me as we continue in our series in the book of Acts to. Acts chapter 22, beginning with verse 14. This is the middle of our text. I want to start in the middle and then we'll go back to the beginning. Acts chapter 22, verse 14, and it reads like this. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you've seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, 
Leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Paul is making his defense in front of a group of Jews that, that have risen up against him. And in the heart of his message, he says two things that are very important. One is, God called me to be a witness to all people, but God warned me that my own people are going to reject me. God did not call Paul to be a successful preacher. He called him to be a faithful witness. Sometimes when God calls us, he's not calling us to be outstanding, eloquent witnesses. He's asking us to be obedient witnesses. Paul understood that he must tell his people about Jesus, that he would be a faithful witness. He needs to be a prophet in his hometown. Now let me share three characteristics of this faithful witness of Paul that we see here. The first one is he had a persistent witness. Paul spoke to this rioting crowd of Jews in Jerusalem, even though they had just tried to kill him. They assaulted him while he was worshiping him. They accused him of preaching against the Jewish Bible, which was a lie. They accused him of bringing Greeks into the temple and thus defiling the temple, which was a lie. But they didn't care about the truth about Paul. They cared about what they had heard, about what they believed, about their preconceived notions of him. And acting on those prejudices, acting on those preconceived notions, they assaulted Paul in the temple. They aroused the whole city of Jerusalem against him. They dragged him out of the temple and shut the door. These were Paul's people. They worshiped where he worshiped. They believed the same book that he believed in. They prayed to the same God that he prayed to. They had the same belief system, but yet they had dragged him out of the temple based on lies. And when the commander of the Jerusalem troops, in, uh, the Roman soldier in, in command of the Jerusalem troops found out, he takes his officers and he arrests Paul. And this is one of those times when an arrest is a good thing because the arrest saved his life. Had he not been arrested, then he might've been killed by his own people. So what does Paul do? He's supposed to be a witness to his own people, but his own people are not giving him a chance. They've passed judgment on him before he even has a chance to share anything with them. Well, let's go to the beginning of our text, which is back in chapter 21, beginning in verse 37. And it reads like this. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied, Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? It's crazy how false rumors spread, right? Paul answered, I'm a Jew born from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. Paul persisted in his witness. He did not give up. No one would have blamed him 
if he'd said, you know what, never mind. I shake the dust off my Nike sandals and I move on because you guys are so stubborn, so hard-headed. You're religious fanatics and you're never gonna change your mind. But Paul insisted, he persisted. What a contrast to, to that prophet Jonah. Do you, do you know the story of Jonah? Jonah's a prophet of the Old Testament and, and God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to warn them about my judgment. And Jonah doesn't want to go. He gets on a ship and he goes in the opposite direction. He doesn't want to go be a faithful witness like God has expected him to do because he knew the Ninevites were bad people. The Ninevites were wicked people. And he said, they don't deserve to hear God's word. They don't deserve a witness of God's word. They don't deserve to be warned about judgment. So I'm not going to give it to them. And he goes a different way. Well, the Jews in Jerusalem that day didn't deserve to hear Paul's witness either because they had been, they have acted on a lie, they had been malicious, they had been mean. But Paul was convinced he must tell them the good news. Not because they deserved it, but because he loved them. He told about Jesus to all of the other nations, Gentiles, Greeks, and Romans, and people all over the place in Asia. And now, it was important that he tell his own people. In the valley we say, mi gente. It, it is my blood. They must hear the message. Tell them because you love them. More importantly, tell them because God loves them. We all can quote John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. Now, if we're honest, some of us wish that it said, for God so loved church people, right? We would like that. For God so loved the doctrinally sound. For God so loved my denomination. For God so loved the ones that have the right values. We would like that, don't we? But it doesn't say that. It says, for God so loved the world. The world may hate God, but God so loves them. The world may want nothing to do with Jesus, but God so loves them. The world may not like you or your witness about Jesus, but God so loves them. And like Paul, we must be a persistent witness. Tell them, because God loves them. Corey Ten Boom lived at the beginning of the 20th century. She was a watchmaker with her father and her sister, a Dutch watchmaker. And when the Nazis began to invade Holland, she and her family began, began to hide the Jews in a, in a secret place of their home and, and clock shop. And so that way, when the Nazis would come around, they, they wouldn't get arrested and taken to the concentration camps. And they, they were able to do this for some time, but eventually the Nazis found out about it and, and they arrested Corey and her father and her sister. And they were taken to Ravenbrook, uh, a concentration camp where they suffered humiliation and they suffered hunger and mistreatment and cold and horrible conditions, so much so that Corey's sister died in that concentration camp. After World War II, Corey decided that she would be a messenger of forgiveness and she went uh, to Germany, the place where the Nazis had come to her country, and she spoke in Germany about God's forgiveness in 1947 
She was at a church in Munich and she was speaking in the basement to a group of people telling them, if you confess your sins, God will forgive all of your sins and he will cast your sins to the bottom of the ocean. And as she began to say this, the people that were sitting there almost sat there in disbelief. And at the end of her speech, they got up and they made their way to the exit in the back. But, but she noticed that in the very back, there was this elderly man, balding, that was wearing a brown trench coat and had a hat in his hand. And, and, and he was looking toward her. And instead of exiting, he was making his way to the front. And as he was walking and she saw him, she says this, one moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visor cap with a skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail body ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you are. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where they had been sent. He came and extended her hand towards Corey on that day. He said, that was a fine message. I'm so glad that God has forgiven our sins and cast them to the deepest part of the ocean. He obviously didn't remember Corey, but Corey remembered him. This was the first time since she had been released that she stood in front of one of her oppressors. And he said to her, I was a guard at Ravensbrook, but since then I became a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me, but I'm here to ask you to forgive me. And in that moment, Corey almost froze. She couldn't bring herself to forgive this man. How could she? How could she forgive the one who, who had been abusive and, and mean to her under whose authority her own sister had died in such horrible conditions? And she began to think about God's forgiveness in her life and how Jesus died for her sins and how she'd seen the power of forgiveness working many people that had been in concentration camps and and, and, and so that moment she prayed, she said, Lord, help me. I, I can lift up my hand, but you're going to have to supply the feeling because I'm not feeling it. And she raised her hand and shook the man's hand. And when she did, she felt this rush from her shoulder through her arm to where their hands met. And then it filled her entire body with a sense of healing and release and tears came out of her eyes and, and she said to this guard of the concentration camp, yes, I forgive you with all my heart. It is only the supernatural power of Jesus Christ that can help us to forgive people that have hurt us so. It is only the power of the Holy Spirit at working us that can help us to be persistent witnesses to those who have broken us. I was in a meeting this week with author and uh, speaker, Dr. Leonard Sweet, and he said something that really caught my attention. He said, Jesus died on the cross to heal us of our brokenness 
and to reconcile us to God so that we can be authentically human in an inhumane world. Oh, how we need that today, a persistent witness, not because they deserve it, but because God loves them. Tell them because God loves them. Paul also had a personal witness. Paul wanted to share his story. Paul wanted them to know what happened to him, what he personally experienced. So he speaks in Greek to the Roman soldiers. That's the sort of the global language of the day. And he gets their attention. He connects with them. And he says, I want to speak to the crowd. And, and, and they give him permission. And then he switches to Aramaic, which is the language of the Jews, to connect with them. Let's see what he says in verses uh, 2 to 5. It says, when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly training the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testified. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul identifies himself with the crowd. He says, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus. I'm a Jew like you. But I came to Jerusalem, I was educated in Jerusalem. Back in those days, you didn't get admitted to a university, you got admitted to a rabbi. And you would be at his feet and you would learn from their words and their lifestyle, you would be their disciple. And Paul says, I was Gamaliel's disciple of the Torah and the Talmud. I, I studied under him, I, I know the law, I, I know the traditions. I'm educated with a prestigious rabbi like you, many of you are. I get it, I know it, I'm convinced of it. In fact, I was so zealous of the Jewish Bible that I persecuted Christians because I thought they were on the wrong side of God. But on this day, Paul came to tell them not what he learned in school. Paul came to tell them not how much he knew about the law, but Paul came to tell them what happened to him. And he says that in verse 6. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. As Paul was going around the world persecuting Christians because he was zealous of the Jewish law, 
He had authority from the high priest to go and arrest them and put them in prison or kill them if necessary. He's on the road to Damascus. And on that day, something supernatural happened. On that day, something happened that Paul would never be the same again. He heard a voice and he called him by name. Saul, Saul, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Why are you persecuting me? You think you're persecuting people that are going against my law, but you're persecuting me. Not only are you persecuting Christians, you're persecuting Christ. Can you imagine what Paul must have thought? He thought he was doing God a favor. He thought he was on God's side. He was persecuting people to defend God, and now God says, you're against me. Boy, that'll, that'll knock you off your feet. All of his preconceived notions about God were shaken that day. His mind and his heart that were zealous for God were wrecked by that experience. Paul had been religious, but he didn't know God. Paul had been zealous of the law, but he did not experience grace. Paul had Bible knowledge, but he did not have a saving relationship with the love of God. Not until that day. Not until he was on the way to Damascus. And then Paul's life was never the same. That encounter changed his heart. That encounter changed his mind. That encounter changed his life. That encounter changed his direction. That encounter changed his destiny. That encounter changed his eternity. That encounter was life changing for Paul. And then the very Lord whom Paul was persecuting, caused Paul to be a witness. Did you catch that? God chose a religious fanatic who hated Christians to be an ambassador for Christ. Isn't God's grace amazing? How he calls the least likely to be his servants. That's why Paul had to tell his people. He had to tell them because it happened to him. He didn't read it in a book. It was personal. It was real. Has it happened to you? Have you had a Damascus Road experience? Has God called you by name? Has God said to you, listen, you're either for me or you're against me. You need to choose a side. It happened to me. I have a personal witness. I... I grew up in an evangelical home. In fact, my parents were in the ministry. So ever since I was a baby, I heard Bible stories, Bible verses, and prayers. We went to church. In fact, we lived at the church, literally. The church met in the house where we lived. And so every time there was a service, we were there. And if we were sent to go to sleep early because the service went too long, we could hear the songs and the laughter and the testimonies. We were there all the time. I heard the Bible stories from grown-up preachers, and I heard the Bible stories from Sunday school teachers. Sunday school teachers back then claimed that I was some kind of a rowdy, misbehaving boy. I don't believe it for a minute. Everybody knows that pastor kids are well-behaved. But I remember one occasion when I was seven years old, I was in that Sunday school class with my friends that I used to be rowdy with and poke on. And my mother was telling a Bible story that she had this flip chart 
and it would flip pictures and I've seen that flip chart many times. I've heard the stories. I could tell the story. Sometimes I would interrupt the teacher and finish the story for them. But on that day, when she flipped the chart to the scene of Calvary, that gloomy picture of three crosses and Jesus in the middle, for the first time in my short life, I realized that Jesus died for my sins. I heard that with my mind. But at that moment, it pierced my heart. In that moment, there was this incredible attraction to the love of God at the cross of Jesus. As a little boy, seven years old, even then I understood that I was a sinner and that I needed God's forgiveness that I needed to repent, that I needed a savior. And I wanted Jesus to be my savior. It wasn't the first time that I heard it, but it was the first time that it completely grabbed me. So when my mom at the end of the story said, are there any of you that want to give your life to Jesus? I raised my hand and I prayed that prayer. And Jesus came into my life and he forgave me and he gave me hope, and he gave me eternal life. I haven't been perfect, I wasn't a perfect child, I wasn't a perfect teenager, I struggled with my faith along the way, but, but my life has never been the same since that day when I met Jesus. That's my story, it happened to me. I didn't just read about it, I didn't just hear about it, it happened to me. Paul gave a personal witness because it happened to him. Before the Damascus experience, Paul had an identity as a Jew. He spoke Greek, he spoke Aramaic, he was a Roman citizen, he was highly educated. But after the Damascus experience, his identity was not primarily Jewish, not primarily Greek, not primarily Roman, not primarily educated, his identity was Jesus Christ. I have a lot of things that make me who I am. I understand my ethnicity and I understand my nationality and I understand my socioeconomic status and I understand my political views and I understand my denomination and I understand my educational level, but none of those things define me now. The only thing that defines my identity is Jesus Christ. That's why I need to tell the world about him. That's why I want to brag about, because he's my hope. He is my refuge. He is my savior. He is my friend. He is my wisdom. He is my steady hand. He is the one that sustains me. No one else, nothing else, nothing else like we sang matters more than him. Leonard Sweet said, the author of your story becomes the authority of your life. Who's the author of your story? Jesus is mine. We need to give a personal witness. Tell them because it happened to you. And then last, a prophetic witness. Paul gave him a, a persistent and a personal witness, but he was also prophetic. That means he told the truth regardless of the cost. That's what prophets do. Prophets tell the truth of God. They tell about God's judgment. They call people to repentance. They're not concerned about popularity. They're concerned about the truth. The prophets of the Old Testament told God's truth to God's people. They weren't always popular. God's people don't always like to hear God's truth. You know that, right? 
Sometimes, if the truth of God requires me to repent, if the truth of God requires me to change my mind or change my heart, I don't like it. God's people didn't like it. They, they stoned the prophets. They killed them. They crucified Jesus, the prophet, for excellence. A prophetic witness is risky, but it's necessary. Paul was convinced of that. Go with me to verse 21 and 22 of, of chapter 22. It says, then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. You know, Paul's witness had been personal because it happened to him, but here it became prophetic. You know why? Because this was a call to repentance. The people, the Jews thought that they had an exclusive right to the salvation of God. We are God's nation. We are God's favorite people. And Paul is telling them when he says that God sent them to the nations, Paul is telling them, you need to repent of your ethnocentrism. You need to change your heart and understand that God loves the nations, not just your nation. And people didn't want to hear that. It made him furious. It made him angry that Paul would even suggest that God wanted his good news to be shared with the Gentiles, with other nations. Paul wasn't surprised by the response, but it didn't change his resolve. What a contrast to Jonah. Remember Jonah? God redirected him. He had a big fish swallow him. And Jonah said, okay, never mind. I'll go, right? And so Jonah goes to Nineveh. And you know what Jonah does? He, he goes to Nineveh and he says, God's going to destroy you in 40 days. Bye. That was his message. Reluctant witness. Check. I told him, you know what happened? You remember the story? The people of Nineveh repented. That's the shortest message, the ugliest message. God's going to destroy you in 40 days and the people repented. You know what? God forgave the Ninevites. You know what happened? Jonah was angry. Jonah got upset and God said, I knew you would do that. That's why I didn't want to go because I knew if I warned them that you'd forgive them. You see what happened? Jonah was upset that the Ninevites had repented and that God had forgiven them. Sometimes religious people are like that. But thank God for Paul, whose witness was not reluctant, but faithful. God's people may or may not want to hear the truth of God. In Paul's case, he gave him his heart. He poured out his heart, and yet they rejected it. We don't know what the response of people will be. But the truth must be told. We must tell the truth of God regardless of the popularity because he is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Paul was deterred, not deterred by the opposition and we must not be deterred either. We must give a prophetic witness. Tell them because it is the truth. Just like Jeremiah said, but I say I will not mention his word. If I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. It's burning inside of me. I must tell them. I must tell them. I must tell them. There's a fire shut up in my bones. I cannot keep quiet. We must tell them. Nell Pearson is 
a 94 year old member of our church and uh, she's had so many health ailments and it has become really hard. She's basically confined to her home. And so we check on her every once in a while. And this week I called her because it was her birthday. And, and I said, Nell, how are you doing? And she said, Pastor, I'm not going to bore you with all of my physical ailments. What I do want to share with you is what I read this morning in my quiet time. And I said, what's that now? And she said, I, I read from the gospel of Matthew about the gospel of the sower and how we need to sow the seed of the gospel. And she said, I, I'm really sad that I cannot leave my house and go tell other people about Jesus. But people come into my house, I have caregivers and people that give me rights to doctor's appointments. And if they come in my house, they will hear about Jesus. And if I go to the doctor's office and I have an opportunity, I will tell them about Jesus. And I said, what a precious saint of God, 94-year-old lady whose body is weak, but whose spirit is strong and wants to tell others about Jesus in spite of her limitations. What about you and me? Will we be faithful witnesses? Will we give a personal witness, a persistent witness, a prophetic witness? Will we tell them because God loves them? Will we tell them because it happened to us? Will we tell them because it's the truth? I wanna ask you to stand with me as we get ready to sing a song of response. And as you respond to God's word today, maybe it hasn't happened to you. Maybe you haven't had a Damascus Road experience. You've never had a personal encounter with Jesus. And right now, today could be that moment I'm not asking about your religion. I'm not asking about your denomination, your doctrine, your beliefs, your values. I'm asking about your personal experience with Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've never given your life to him, today he's calling you to come to him, to trust him, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, and your life will never be the same again. Will you pray and trust him right now? Will you make sure that you have a story to tell to a broken world? And if you've already had that encounter, if it's already happened to you, Jesus already happened to you, then will you make a commitment today to tell your story, to tell your story, regardless of the response. Be prepared for rejection, but tell it anyway. Tell it anyway. Father, thank you for Paul and his faithful witness because in that witness you were glorified and you accomplished your purpose. Help us to be faithful witnesses. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, you respond in faith and obedience to God's word.